0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Who Died with Pete and Alex. It's your weekly guide to some of the famous, infamous, and noteworthy figures who have uh, gone to the great beyond. Have I said that one before? I don't know. But uh, yeah, this will be the week of May uh, 9th to 16th, I believe. Sounds good. Um, well, with a little flexibility. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why in a second. Mm, we're, intrigue. we're figuring out the format, you know. But yes, if you uh, if this is your first uh, show, if this is the first time you're listening, we're just basically going through some notable uh, deaths from the past week. And uh, Alex, I believe you have our first honoree this week. Okay. Our first honoree is a
1: gentleman by the name of Doyle Brunson. and Doyle
0: Brunson Doyle That's Brunson very, hmm? very tough sounding name.
1: Uh yeah, it does it's it's funny he was a professional poker player for oh. over 50 years. Uh born August 10th, 1933. We lost him on May 14th of this year. And mm. um he started off as a basketball player. He was a tall gentleman and when he was in high school, mm. he was uh, almost drafted to the Minneapolis Lakers. Shows you how mm. long ago was the Minneapolis yeah. Lakers sounds so strange to the tongue <laughs> now that they play in Los Angeles for most of our collective memories. You uh, got injured, and basketball's loss was poker's game gain. Poker's game <laughs> because he became a, uh, a started to uh, start playing in illegal uh, games in Texas and Oklahoma. You know, back then there was not really much uh, legal, mm-hmm. and uh, eventually. Made his way to Las Vegas, where he uh, found his fortune, and uh, first won the world. He won the first ever World Series of Poker in 1970, and would go on to win the World Series of Poker ten times throughout his career. So he's like the New York Yankees of poker, playing, uh, winning one out of mm-hmm. every five World Series of Pokers is. Um, and uh, he uh, was the first player also to win $1 dollars million, $1 million playing <laughs> poker professionally hmm. and collectively,
0: uh, like his his total career earnings, topped yes, a yeah. million dollars. Yeah, I mean his
1: total career was something like six million dollars
0: or something. But right, um, but he got there first. Yeah.
1: Be- um. In 1978, he created a bit of a do uh, don't want to say controversy—but he released a—he self-published a book called Super Slash System. You can tell it's self-published; no editor would come out with a book called Super Slash System. And he was basically revealing—unless well, it
0: was a Super Slash System, like, oh, like how yeah. to play guitar, you <laughs>
1: know. Um, but no, this one was about how to play poker. He dished out some of the secrets as to uh, mm. his his uh, his uh, tips and tricks. He says this decision probably cost him a lot of money over the years because a lot of people, this was their first real introduction to, you know, real poker strategy and stuff. And uh, he uh, just generally became a beloved figure in the world of poker. And I think uh, Poker Magazine said he had, he's had the biggest influence on modern poker is uh, Doyle hmm. Brunson. Uh I remember seeing him uh, back in the big poker boom in the, in the early 2000s. I remember seeing him, and you know he's like this tall, drawly Texan guy, exactly what you would think a professional poker player, an old-school <laughs> professional poker player should look like. Um, hmm. He also has the distinction of having not one, but two different uh, starting hands in uh, Texas Hold'em named after him. Uh, a ten... The Doyle and the Brunson? <laughs> no, I think they're both just called the Doyle Brunson, rather uncreatively, no. but they should call it, they should do the Doyle Brunson. Uh, the 10-2, uh, which is traditionally not a uh, good hand to start with, but he won the World Series of Poker two times in a row with that, uh, starting with that hand. So it became hmm. a, uh, became a, one of his, you know, named after him, which...
0: Uh, I feel like that should be like a driver's ed or something like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um... Yes, so Doyle Brunson, eighty-nine Hi. years old, he had a great run, and mm. uh, goodbye Is that a poker
0: man. joke a poker pun. He had a great run, <laughs> but he folded, anyway. and now he's going to go, to go. straight to the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know nothing about. It. I have zero interest, so it's not you know, it's not like I, I have. Uh, not like I'm asking for for information about poker from the the populace at large, but mm-hmm. uh, I have no knowledge of of poker or poker players, and it just seems like a a whole different world. What's your, what's your familiarity? Now I know you do go to Las Vegas every once in a while. Is that is that tied to that, or is that just kind of like you you found it interesting when there was that that kind of uh, boom like well yeah said, on tv and stuff
1: in the early 2000s they started airing poker on tv and that's when me my wife and many 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 other people first got interested in texas Hold'em. and uh i really got into playing for a while i was always a low stakes person uh, never mm-hmm. you know i didn't want to risk big money or anything and uh i there came a point where something clicked in me where i was like you know when i get good cards i do well and when i get bad cards i don't do well I just don't think I'm a good poker player, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which was a, a big relief because when I would lose money playing poker, I would really beat myself up over it that I was like, oh, I was so stupid. I shouldn't have done that. And then I was just like, you know, it's like I'm, it's like any sport, you know, I'm just, just like, not I just, in the cards, just don't have the knack for it. And I was able to enjoy it a lot more knowing that it was just, uh, you know, mm. pure, pure luck. And then we stopped, we stopped uh, playing it ultimately. Um, right. So, uh, but yeah, I'll always have a soft spot. Uh, Doyle Brunson was always one of my favorites to watch play because, again, he was very uh, classic, old school poker player. Hmm. There you go. So, um, who is our first? Who do you? Who is the first of your honorees this week?
0: Um. Well, I think first I'm going to go with the, this is my technicality from the from the intro there hmm. because uh, not. It's not somebody who passed away during our time frame. He actually passed away last week, but uh, it was just kind of announced and, and we discovered uh, the passing after we recorded last week's episode. So I'm going to sneak him in there uh, because I just wanted to honor um, Frank Kozik. Kozik Kozik. Should have looked that up beforehand. But Frank hmm. Kozik um, is what I've always said. Probably best known as an artist of posters. Somebody who designed hmm. and uh, and printed a lot of posters, mainly primarily kind of associated with the uh, kind of 90s alternative and punk uh, wave. Hmm. He was born in uh, in 1962 in Madrid to an American serviceman and a Spanish woman who split up before he was born. Moved with his, uh, with his father to Sacramento. Dropped out of high school to join the Air Force at the age of 18, which is not something I would have expected. But uh, hmm. then the Air Force stationed him in Austin, Texas, where he found his local punk scene and kind of uh, Weird. that's where he found his groove. After he left the service, he uh, worked at a, a nightclub and kind of befriended a bunch of the, the up and coming bands and started doing art for them, including uh, posters. And that's where that kind of snowballed. Uh, then in, in, I think early nineties, maybe moved to San Francisco, things were happening, you know, just the national kind of prominence after that, because he just became, as those bands got big, across the world, then also his stuff kind of started to become associated with some of them. Um, You know, his his Wikipedia page will say that, you know, he's best known for these, I think it listed two album covers. There's one that's, I think, a Queens of the Stone Age album, which doesn't, to me, it doesn't seem that much like his style. It's Queens of the Stone Age's first album. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the uh, Offspring album, I forgot which one it is, because I'm not that into Offspring, but I, there's an Offspring album that is like pure kozak kind of the know, kid on the swing like, with the yes. giant bug. yeah the kid on the swing holding a bug yeah now i got it uh, yeah this is i again my notes i don't have his pronunciation i don't have the name of the album <laughs> you're um, too
1: broken up to, to get this information
0: i know i couldn't through the tears no, but seriously it was like frank Kosick was one of those um artists who i one of the earliest artists that i found interesting to my tastes and got into not because somebody told me to because was like oh this is cool i like this you know in in my teenage years listening to all these same bands um you know and and seeing this started associating wait a minute what's this cool poster art style oh it's all this one guy who did these cool things for sonic youth and mud honey and nirvana and um (laughs) and and then kind of got into that i got you know one or two of the i think I think maybe two of the, the books that were collected of his poster work, um, never had the full, I think because mainly, you know, he would do posters for shows, for actual shows that were mainly in, you know, either Austin, or San Francisco, the, that kind of a thing, or, or, you know, people would commission them, but I feel like they were never for a show that I attended. Like I wanted that Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. I felt like a poser buying a show for like a, a you know, a, a, like, Oh, this is an awesome, awesome show. When I saw that tour, I saw the one there, you know, there are dates in New York, but I don't want to buy the one from Austin because I didn't go to that one. You know, yeah. I, I, I would feel like a poser, even though I love the art. So I'll have it in a book, and yeah. it's fine. Um, you don't want to go the rest of your life, everyone saying, oh, were you
1: at that show? And you're like, no. I No, yeah. I just got it because it
0: looked good. Well, cool. I could, but yeah, it was a little bit. Well, I saw it in New York, but this, it you know, yeah, it's yeah, close enough. No, not really. So... <clears throat> um but uh, yeah then uh, later after uh, kind of uh, doing posters and screen printing kind of you know had his own record label for a while which which um seemed a very kind of uh, um artist focused you know it was like they don't they didn't sign a contract they didn't own anything for the records that they put out wow. artists own the record which seems like it makes sense they you know paid for whatever up front they would do you know a lot of the covers were kind of hand screen printed Limited runs, they would split everything all the profits fifty fifty, and then when it's done, you you know the artists own everything from it, and that seems seems like a uh, artist friendly way to go. and no wonder people like putting out records with them. unsurprisingly, also that record company went out of business after a while. I think it got bought for uh, at, yeah. at first. I think he made out okay, but
1: yeah
0: um and uh, later on, you know was a uh, was creative director for Kid Robot, the kind of designer oh. toy uh, yeah. company. Um, which I didn't know that I bought a couple of things that are Kid Robot and didn't know he was kind of working for them, although it makes sense. It's totally up his alley. And he was one of that, you know, that kind of uh, wave of artists too that led into, you know, those posters and and graphic design stuff that then led into the kind of modern um, custom toy thing. Like he created characters just to have that, you know. yeah. um, Smoke and Labbit, I think, is is one that was made just for, for... merchandising you know just purely as a character to kind of make the cool things of and merchandising not in a cynical way but in a cool like hey let's make cool stuff of this in an artistic way yeah <laughs> but yeah uh, uh, definitely sad to see uh, sad to see him go and uh, and uh, you know on my radar is something uh, somebody whose work I I appreciate
1: Hmm. good so. oh, well he was uh, goodbye funny
0: mm. drawings man <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not not quite a funny book artist. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah. Well, who is your uh, next honoree, Alex?
1: Well, I'm uh, sad to report that uh, Longboy has been reported dead at the age of five, which is sad. Mm. Not quite as sad as you might be thinking because Longboy is in fact, was in fact, a duck.
0: Oh, um, okay. What's a uh, duck?
1: He was an Indian runner mallard duck hybrid, and uh, he showed up at the University of uh, York in England uh, a few years back, and they think he was a pet that someone might have just let loose at the uh, Mm. university and uh, had a rough start of things. All the other ducks uh, kind of picked on him because he's this Mm. weirdo who shouldn't be in this location. But they never me- let
0: poor log boy join in any reindeer games. <laughs> then
1: suddenly, one foggy Christmas Eve, mm. um, he became uh, internet famous. In 2021, mm. someone posted a picture of him and said it was the tall, officially the tallest mallard ever uh, on record, and mm. uh, not technically a mallard, and not technically the tallest. Uh, he was. They claimed he was a meter tall, but he was only 70 centimeters, which is seven tenths of meter. Um, For those of you at home, that's about, uh, in America, that's about two and a half feet tall, which for a duck is pretty, still seems pretty tall. I think so. Um, And so this post became very viral and uh, the university kind of took him on as an unofficial mascot, Mm. um, you know, merch and all that. Um, Merchandising again. Yes. uh, He was given an honorary doctorate. And uh, I, I'm not sure, a doctorate. I can't believe they didn't go with doctorate. And I yeah. am curious as to what he was declared the doctor of. Hmm. We, we uh, let us know in the comments below what you think he was the. Uh, <laughs> um, sadly, uh, about you know a few weeks back, students were like, "Hey, Longboy is not around," and uh, some scientists were like, "Well, sometimes they migrate, blah blah blah." All these other hemming and hawing there's yeah. a lot apparently have been a lot of fox attacks in the area you know mm. england they have problems with fox uh fox overrun with foxes mm-hmm. um and uh, unfortunately he was recently the the university declared him officially dead i don't know if that was for insurance purposes or mm. there was a grieving widow who had to be um um you know placated but he was declared dead, and now the students are uh, have started to me. They want to create a statue of Long Boy uh, hmm. on the university. Uh, as of this recording, they've made about a thousand pounds so far. Uh, they're looking to get ten, ten uh, thousand pounds. Ten thousand. So uh, we'll see what happens. I, hopefully, the statue of Long Boy will in fact go through.
0: All right. So maybe I'll luck. maybe I'll put the link. Yes. I'll I'll write out the link uh, on on the screen here. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. If you see it, click it. Donate. Throw throw Longboy's widow a couple of bucks, (laughs) a couple of pounds. What's going to hurt you? Yeah. Uh, So, yes, goodbye, funny duck. Funny duck.
1: Pete, is Um, your next person a human or an animal?
0: (laughs) Animal, vegetable, or mineral. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, tying into your uh, Longboy... we have a, a viral sensation of a different sort mm. in that uh, on May 10th, we lost Mr. Jack Rebney at age 93. 93. And uh, Jack Rebney, uh, born in uh, 1929, and then was a uh, journalist uh, and uh, kind of, uh, I don't know if he was uh, did much in the way of television work, but then uh, somehow found his way into, uh, in 1988 found his way into being the kind of on-air, uh, on-screen presenter for a series of promotional films for Winnebago recreational vehicles. And the mm-hmm. outtakes from this session ended up being an early viral kind wow. of video sensation in the pre-internet days. Sure, yeah. It's so fascinating, the culture of kind of trading videos before the internet. Yeah. Um which I'm, I'm trying to remember other examples of this, this kind of a thing. I mean, the Star Wars Holiday Special is kind of one of those yeah. um, in and of itself. but The Jerky um,
1: Boys is what I always think of.
0: Right. Yeah, the Jerky Boys. A video, and, but, and, but passed around on cassette prior to. Yeah. Um, and that that you would get, you know, you would just have a friend who knew somebody who knew somebody who found a copy. Or sometimes at um, comic conventions, there'd be people selling tapes of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, then you know, at the, there's the, the a couple of people started this found footage festival um, about 20 years ago, probably. And um, you know, they started kind of collecting, collaborating on. You know, they would go to flea markets or they would go just you know find find things that just kind of seemed out of place that were were uh, you know the the official definition of ephemeral. The things were just meant for basically single use. You know, either corporate uh, training videos or or stuff like that. And this from the outtakes from the Winnebago uh, promotional videos that somebody um, kept because they were just so funny that there's just watching this guy get just flustered by the slightest things. And, and, you know, we've all been there. Mm-hmm. And so I think that struck a chord with everybody that they were just kind of able to have this cathartic laughter at this guy, just flipping out at, you know, like flies and, and just instantly, you know, swears up a storm when something goes wrong. And, uh, so the, I I remember hearing about this before uh, I saw it on, I think, before, probably in the pre-YouTube days, I remember hearing something about it. Didn't see it until uh, then the, once YouTube kind of uh, uh, brought it to our attention. And then in 2009, there was a documentary film called Winnebago Man, yeah. which um, basically, you know, the uh, director went and found the guy you know uh goes through talks through the whole process of how things were traded and and you know exactly what i just said except in a much more (laughs) artsy and uh uh kind of less frantic way um but uh and then goes and and talks to him and sees what his deal is and he was uh, kind of unhappy uh, about being remembered for that he's like well why, why why is everybody making fun of me basically but then gets brought to, you know, one of these kind of found footage festival things and people coming up to him and asking for his autograph and saying, you know, how much like they appreciate his, you know, that, that um, you know, watching this will kind of really let them blow off steam after a hard day of work and make them laugh and that kind of a thing. And, and uh, you know, just having that connection with other people, he realized that he was making people happy in an indirect way, in an indirect, unintentional way. And, uh then eventually there were a couple of updates I think they went back and talked to him again uh, there's a, v- a vimeo uh video where the director went back and kind of checked back in with him after a couple of years and he's gone he had gone blind and was trying to self-publish some books about his stance on politics and stuff like that so that maybe maybe best left to to kind of watch the documentary and leave it at that but <laughs> um it did make me think about the weird kind of you know there was no reason to think that even the actual video, the final processed video would have a life outside of, you know, just like being a promotional tool for a couple of years, maybe Mm -hmm. for Winnebago, but for the outtakes to not only make it out to the public, to be seen by anybody, but then to kind of survive into this digital age where you can share anything with everybody and become a viral sensation in and of itself is, is inconceivable, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) And yet, here we are, and it's a strange world we live in.
1: Yeah, it's it's weird to think that something not only you know, uh, not like over at Star Wars Minute, we started that kind of just as a fun, weird thing to do, and it turned into this whole big thing. But this mm-hmm. wasn't even something he ever intended to release. You know what I mean? It's not like yeah. he created this and whoa, he won the lottery and and now he's. It's just almost like it's 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 kind of frightening to think of in a way or at least uh humbling <laughs> to think of in a way that's something right. that you have no intention of anyone even seeing and let alone that would be the thing you'd be most remembered for uh, yeah when you when you go yeah mm. just goes to like show the, you uh, film yeah film everything you do all the time you ever know
0: well yeah just uh let the records show that uh, I'm uh, preparing the Alex Robinson outtakes tape. Oh, man. <laughs> to go viral. So, also, we, uh, we like to mark historical deaths. People who have passed away on this date or, or you know, this week in history. Uh, and so, uh, could not let this week pass without marking the passing of one Douglas Adams. Oh, right. Yeah, Douglas Adams, uh, born March 11th, 1952 and passed away May 11th, 2001. Um, Yeah, uh, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but it it was. Um, Douglas Adams, of course, best known for uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which uh, was originally a 1978 BBC radio comedy. That's right, it was a radio show first and then uh, adapted into various formats and uh, uh, different... It was, of course, a well-loved novel series. Um, it was a TV, BBC TV program, and then they did a... Uh, eventually, they did a movie of it. There was an interactive fiction game with Douglas Adams, kind of co-wrote. Stage show? Any th- stage show? There were stage shows, I believe. I would like to see that. Yeah. Douglas Adams, uh, you know, he, uh, as a kid, by the time he was 12, he was six feet tall. I didn't know that. He was a wow. tall guy. A long boy, if you will. Um, <laughs> and uh, by the... And uh, eventually topped off at 65 in uh, college. he went to uh, I don't understand the um, Cambridge system. It's like you can be at something A-levels. college Cambridge. And it's, uh, I, I'm something like that. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but uh-huh. while there, he was a uh, member invited to be a member of the Footlights, which is a comedy troupe invitation only comedy troupe. You have to like prove your, prove your worth. And um, the footlights boast many um, famous British uh, comedians and actors uh, as uh, in their alumni, um, Fry and Laurie, Mitchell and Webb, and all the associated kind of uh, you know Richard Richard Ioade and uh, uh, Matt Holness I think, and all the the guys from that scene. And uh, notably, uh, uh, several of the Pythons, Monty Python's Flying Circus crew, um, were footlights. And, uh, Graham Chapman, uh, that's, uh, he discovered quote unquote Douglas Adams via a footlights performance. He was like, Hey, this kid is good. Um, and tapped him to say, I guess let's work together on something. And they collaborated, uh, uh, performed a writing partnership that didn't last too long. Uh, but it did yield fruit in the form of, uh, uh one sketch on, uh, what I believe was the last episode of Monty Python's Flying Circus called patient abuse. And, uh, That makes uh, Douglas Adams one of only two people, other than the original Python members, who who get a writing credit on Monty Python's Flying Circus, the other being Neil Innes. Ah, a Vuddle's name. And so even though he was, you know, discovered by, you know, uh, uh, Graham Chapman wrote on a a TV show, he was still kind of out of work, had a hard time finding consistent um, work at that point moved back in with his parents, I think, and and just kind of had a rough go of it, um, but just kind of kept submitting stuff and had worked up the idea for The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. According to the lore, he was in, uh was it, Innsbruck, Austria, or something like that, just kind of laying in a field, and he had a copy <laughs> of The Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe and just kind of laying in the field looking up at the stars, and said, okay, somebody should make A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And then, That's it. There you go. Um... So he wrote up the idea, uh, sent it off to BBC Radio, and uh, then also, I believe, around the same time, I'm not sure, so, you know, Chicken and Egg or the the timeline of things, um, also sent the script for the pilot to the Doctor Who offices at the BBC. And uh, so they asked him to write an episode, which became The Pirate Planet, um, which was a good kind of Tom Baker era classic Doctor Who. And uh, they liked that enough they brought him back he, he uh, around the same time then the the radio show went into production and then things kind of snowballed from there and so he's he's uh firmly entrenched in sci-fi lore from there the, the books i think the novels sold more than 15 million copies in his lifetime which is impressive wow um because i, I think you know we know there we know nerds like him but it's like did that make did that make it into the real world? You know, there's the people who are like nerd famous who are like, oh, I think that person is you know obviously they can't walk down the street without getting mobbed. But no, they're they're just nerds like them. But but uh, I think Hitchhiker's Guide is one of those things that escaped into the real world. Most people know what it is at least, or they're aware that it exists.
1: Yeah, it's like Dune or Lord of the Rings, sort of the the right. the top of the right. of the famous of the genres. So
0: and um. Then, uh, let's see, then, uh, you know, shortly after his passing, um, a, a group of fans decided, and I'm not sure what the, why they picked this day, but um, w- let's look out for it. Um, if you're listening to this before uh, the 25th of May, May 25th is Towel Day, where, of course, um, all the hoopy Fruits uh, know where their towel's at, and they, they, you're supposed to walk around with a towel, kind of displaying your towel prominently so people know that you know hmm. what's up. So May 25th uh, is Towel Day. And it, it was, I think, not randomly picked, but it was just, I don't know. After his passing, people were looking for a way to kind of memorialize him. And they they picked a day to be a day that we all sport our towels. So.
1: Nice.
0: Um, so let's do that. And uh, maybe you'll catch us wearing a towel uh, next week. We will be back with a, a, a brand new I mean, you know, ideally, the best show, the best thing that could happen is one day we come back and we're like, "Hey, nobody died this week." Wow. That would be we would love that. But I mean, it would make for bad content, but it would be good for humanity. That would be like the start but, of a science know, fiction story. This week no right? one died
1: mm. on earth. Mm. And then no one ever died for the here on out. We'd be like, "Uh-oh, Ooh. now what do we do?"
0: Now we're now we're stuck. We just started this show. <laughs> um but um chances are It's a fact of life. People will die between then and now. And we'll be here to talk about it on next week's Who Died with Pete and Alex.